Little spray. Yeah. Hi, Cora. So say hello and introduce everyone to the podcast. Say like, hi, welcome to the podcast. Okay. Uh, what do I just in those exact words? I mean, honestly, you, you can sure. say whatever the heck you want. Okay. When? Right now. Right now. Oh, okay. Um, hi, welcome to the podcast. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know. You did great. You did amazing, Cora. I'm sorry. Um, All right. Can I let's do this. Um, I can do it myself. I think I caught you in cold. Oh, rough. <laughs> And on there that note, cold, there's a cold in Jared's household. I have like a strep throat or something, except not a fever, just like the throat part of it. Oh, sounds bad. Okay, well, you rest up, kiddo. Okay. I also need to Has that been long enough? And welcome to the Rucci and Jer uh, Explain Weird SF Politics to Scott podcast. Um, we've got We've got some stuff to talk about. Um, Jer and Rucci, how are you doing? We have some stuff to talk about. Um, like for example, the day of a hundred squats, this oh, okay. is, and I, I raised this issue because it has affected my life over the last 48 hours. This is and not my weird inability to politics. walk downstairs. <laughs> well, I mean, city hall has a lot of stairs and so I've been avoiding it. Okay. <laughs> is that, it's been keeping you from civic engagement. Exactly. Um, it's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, Richie, how are you? I'm good because I didn't do a hundred squats. Because that's <laughs> insane. Seems wise. That yeah, seems wise. That's seems very. Wise. You know what's more insane in Richie than a day of 100 squats is day of 125 squats. Yeah, obviously the person who instigated the day of 125 squats needs to be in some sort of mental facility. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a second. That might be a little extreme. That person is Scott. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's talk about at-large supervisors. <laughs> um, okay, so last time... Okay, so I recently went to an event um, uh, put together by a group called Together SF, um, which I totally... I, Richie and Jer, I, I would love it if you guys would come to me come with me to one of these things. Uh, they do a bunch of events. Um, this one was called, uh, it was SF Politics 201. And Why is San Francisco politics so fucking crazy? What's was that? this run by Joel Ingardio? I actually don't know. Okay. I mean, that that wasn't a name that I, for of anybody that was there, at least that I know of. Um, the, gr- the group is just called Together SF. Um, as best as I could tell, it was people who used to just sort of work in uh, I think the mayor's office. So it's probably kind of probably has like a moderate lean because this is people that used to work for London breed. Um, but mostly it was just like an educational thing. Mostly it was just like the nuts and bolts of like what matters in uh, SF politics and like how the elections work and, you know, uh, kind of trends. And I, I don't know. It was, it was really interesting. Um hmm. For example, they talked a lot about the SFDCCC, um, which is apparently pretty influential and pretty powerful. Um, and it's like the people on in the SFDCCC, it's just like, it's just stacked with elected officials and, and a few other people sort of on their staffs, um, uh, which is kind of wild because, so, so the DCCC is the Democratic, uh, uh, Democratic Central Something Committee. It's like it's in charge of sort of endorsing, uh, like if you if you look at a ballot and it says this has been endorsed, this is the official candidate of the Democratic Party, the DCCC mm-hmm. for that region I gets think, to decide that. I think so. I I'm struggling to remember. There was like a slate of candidates. I think it was for this DCCC committee that like SF Yimby put together a slate and like that. That'd be for of- California DCCC. Ah, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Or the D trip, as the cool kids call it. I'm not a cool kid. I do not call it that. <laughs> um, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, Ruchi. And that and it's interesting. I mean, this is so complicated. But yeah, this is a California one. And then there's a SF, I believe it's City D Triple C. Um I think and I think there are I think there's an uh, I think it's by by 
I, I'm honestly not sure how the regions work, if they're county or city or what, or like other areas. But anyway, so this Together SF group leads these cool classes. I, th- I found it interesting. I think both of you would find it interesting. I think any of our listeners, if they were so inclined, would also find it interesting. And they do like um, weekend brunch events, so you can go and learn about politics while you're drinking mimosas, which like, hey, why not? Um, so anyway, I will I will keep my eyes open for those and bug you about it. But the reason I bring it up is because last time, Jer, you had a lovely hot take about at-large supervisor districts, right? So like, what if we didn't have these sort of geographic districts? What if everything was the whole county and you sort of had to have like, you had like, uh, you know, half the seats up every two years and it's just kind of like top five people running in a citywide field get those seats, right? So what they said is the reason that we switched to the, the Together SF folks, some, somebody asked, it wasn't me actually, somebody asked why did we go to districts when we used to be all at large? And um, uh, the answer that, that the, the lady gave was that um, it was to increase diversity. That when, when everything was all at large, you had mostly uh, straight white men uh, winning supervisor seats. Um, which like, I don't, I don't quite understand like what would drive that. Right. Because like, I think our mayors have been a pretty diverse set of people like historically ish, maybe. Um, but that's what she said. They said that it was because they, they, San Francisco chose to go to geographic districts to increase diversity on the board of supervisors, which, you know, it, you know, it seems like it has, like we have a pretty diverse group of people on the, on the board of soups. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know, Jared. Your hot take is uh, has to overcome that, right? Well, I don't actually know off the top of my head how those elections were run back before they were um, geographic supervisors, mm. and I think that probably changes a lot about the makeup. If it's just the people who get the, the top five vote getters in the election, then you just run five white straight males. And then all the other candidates kind of trail along after it probably would result in a not very representative set of electors. And then like uh, a, what would you call it? A um, something the more like how Ireland does its elections where there's a, a, a large number of people per County all running at the same time, you get a slate, right? And so the, the representativeness is defined by the parties who are running the elections. So, like the Republicans and the progressives and the moderates all nominate their slate of electors and you don't vote for a particular person, you vote for a party. It's the, the people who get the, uh, if the moderates get, I don't know, 33% of the vote, then a third of their slate goes in and so and so down the line. It's, I was thinking um, what in the RCV. It's oh. worth noting that um, the reason you would see more diversity by going to neighborhood representatives versus at-large representatives is due to the level of segregation in San Francisco. So if you had a city with like kind of a uniform level of diversity, right? Because San Francisco is very diverse. But when you look at the neighborhoods, they're pretty stratified still. And so that's, that's why neighborhood representatives may be more diverse than at-large representatives. Whereas if, if, the, if, the, if the city was more integrated, this would be less of a concern. And it's, it's interesting because um, SFUSD is trying to move away. This is kind of on a similar note. Like they're actually trying to move away from a citywide um, school selection. So right now you get some preference to your neighborhood school, but really you can apply anywhere in the city and get assigned everywhere in the city. And it, there are a lot of reasons that that causes turmoil. So they're trying to move to a zone based approach where, um, they're going to, you know, you're, you're assigned a specific zone and you would only be sent to schools in your zone. The challenge is they're trying to make each of the zones um, similar level of diversity. Like they don't want a zone, they don't want segregated zones for obvious reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So they're trying to keep the zones um, pretty, like 
equally diverse. Um, and I think, I think they're having some pretty real challenges with that. Cause I, um, I attended one meeting and, um, and I think it was pretty clear that they were, you know, it was, it was, this was going to be a challenge. Um, I haven't been able to attend subsequent meetings, but they've actually pushed back this zone assignment um, a year. And I, I, again, I think all of these come from, you know, a major problem with San Francisco, just that, you know, that is, that is, that is that is undergirding all of this, which is the city is very segregated. Wait, can I ask a question to clarify this? This is interesting. I didn't know about this. So, so they're looking to create these zones, and, and are they basically trying to like I don't want to say gerrymander, but like design these zones so that you have some sort of more affluent, privileged neighborhoods, and others sort of like traditionally less advantaged. Uh, uh, yeah neighborhoods so that you so have kids So this that is go. how Berkeley has their um their has developed their school zones and it's worked really well in Berkeley. Um mm. and so they have these zones that are created that yeah that that kind of gerrymander zones such that you have like equally diverse zones. So all the zones are equally diverse. Um, and those are the elementary and middle school zones. And then everyone in Berkeley feeds into Berkeley high, which is this massive high school. Um, now this in San Francisco, they're only trying to do it for elementary right now. Um, so they're trying to create zones which are equally diverse. Um, and yeah, you want it, like you said, it's, it's gerrymander maybe has the wrong connotations, but essentially, yeah, you want to create, the goal is all of these neighborhoods must adjoin. And how do you create, it's like a little logic puzzle. How do you create mm-hmm. a bunch of adjoining neighborhoods together into zones for elementary school purposes? Um, and they all have to be the same. They all have to be very, di- they all have to be equally diverse, but you're in a very segregated city <laughs> where like you've got the you've got like very asian areas in some of the northwest areas you've got mm-hmm. more latino areas in the southeast mm-hmm. um you've got white people in certain districts like noe valley or bernal or the marina it's yeah. actually it's actually a very challenging proposition um huh. so yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it. <laughs> so, which is to say, like, when we just went through this whole redistricting process, but, like, if you wanted to create districts for supervisor districts, that would probably be very, very difficult if you were trying to do that to ensure diversity through. Yeah, so one thing process. that they, they actually looked at that, like, could we could we just keep the school zones identical to the district lines? So like everyone Uh, from district 10 would be in one school zone, but that was, I think pretty quickly taken off the table. Um, I think because of how segregated that would have been like the whole goal of this, the, the whole goal of this project is to, is to actually have the schools less segregated than they are because currently the schools are extremely segregated so the goal is desegregation so you definitely don't want you know and almost like the the goal of the supervisor districts is the reverse it was intentional I, I mean, segregation to yeah, combine I mean, that, that might be interest true. groups into the same areas right yeah. Yeah. right that's that's kind of true right like that that was what all of these neighborhoods and community groups were fighting for was to keep a community together but actually, for the purpose of schools, we our goal is to not necessarily keep a community all in one school. I mean, well, the original lottery system, the overall um, goal was to try to end the segregation of students into particular schools, right? And that has the lottery for the school system, where you the like lottery for the school system because, a random school, yeah. Yeah, your your child is assigned to a random school, and that has not worked at all. Yeah, so I mean, um, I mean, maybe not not at all, but it hasn't met the goals that 
um, you can understand why the theory made sense, right? Because the idea was San Francisco is very segregated. It has always, it has, it has historically also been very segregated. So if you did it based on this is where I live, you know, you would think, oh, um, the, the, the schools would be really segregated. And like, you know, basically you could buy your way into a better quote unquote, better performing school by moving to a certain location, which is totally what happens in the suburbs, right? Like people Mm -hmm. choose certain suburbs for the schools. So the idea with the lottery was, well, we're going to, we're going to not have that happen. And instead anyone can go anywhere. Um, that, yeah, yeah. But that is, that has the spherical cow problem. Like it makes a bunch of assumptions that don't hold up in real life. So if you're a poor student in a CTIP one area who can go to the best school in San Francisco, Wait, your CTIP one area one? is in the Bayview. Sorry, CTIP one is the census tract. I forget what the IP stands for. Basically, it's the people who most need um, the the assistance of like getting into a really good school. Effectively, okay, okay. okay. So uh, it's the census. So on on a block by block basis, the census tract breaks down. Like this, this census tract is as the lowest whatever the qualifiers are for various metrics and the like. Sure. And when you're in, uh, if you're a, a parent with a child and you live in one of these districts, you basically can go wherever you want. You get to skip the lottery, right? Um, so you can send your kid to the best school in the district, but that could be you could be in the Bayview and the best school could be in the outer Richmond. And there's just no way you could possibly make that work. You'd be like, an well, I mean, I don't know school. that that's true. I mean, so there was some analysis that was done when they were looking at the, they were looking at flipping this. So right now, as Jer said, the C tip preference trumps everything. So if you live in these certain census tracts, you get the highest priority for attending whatever school you want, and it trumps neighborhood preference. So it means that you get preference over people who live in that area. Um, So they did an analysis about flipping neighborhood preference and CTIP, just just doing that, keeping the lottery the same, but flip neighborhood preference so that people who live in the neighborhood get preference over CTIP preference. And they found that if, um, they did that Clarendon, which is the most highly sought after school in the district for, I don't know, whatever reasons, but it is, um, would become whiter. Um, oh, sure. And, and that yeah. there would the be point about- black students attending Clarendon if they, if they flipped the preference. Sure. The problem with CTIP is just a, an example that if you are like randomly distributing people across the city, then the people who can successfully navigate, like sending their kids to an area that isn't nearby are the ones that have the amount of time um, and extra cars or extra money or people to do it for them to send your yeah. kids, you know, 30 minutes away. If you're a second shift worker who makes minimum wage, raising three kids on a single salary, there's no way you're going to be able to take your kids and send them to the the schools that they were assigned to if they're not local. And so the theory of randomizing things to kind of address the 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 geographic gentrification of San Francisco, it's it faces some like realism realism problems about how you would actually manifest those changes when it comes I'm down to run it. for the I'm yeah, run for and the, board of the, soups the, the platform other of the other sort all. of spherical cow problem mm-hmm. here is that. Um, one of the challenges is because people don't have a guaranteed school, um, you know, a lot of people just opt out of SFUSD entirely, right? So you have a huge percent, particularly of white families in San Francisco who choose private school over public school. And one of the rationales that is commonly heard is because of how difficult and terrible the lottery system is. And so basically, you know, there are assumptions made with the lottery that, that, you know, you have a given population, but actually you don't have a given population. That population is subject to change and that population can opt in or opt out. Right. And you can choose to opt out in a number of ways, including, moving out of the city 
or sending your kids to private school. Um, and so that adds another kind of challenge to this problem. Well, okay. Shocking. Absolutely. No one, our discussion of SF weird politics has fallen down a SF education rabbit hole, which I love. Can I ask a quick question on this actually? Cause I, I, I this is fascinating to me. Um, is it true that if you're a parent in San Francisco, like, 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 is this, is this a viable strategy for being a parent in San Francisco? You, you know, you have your kids, you raise them, you get through, I don't know, uh, pre-K or kindergarten or whatever, and then you get into the lottery system, right? And then you're talking about this opt-out thing. So you get to the phase where you start getting your kid into a lottery system. You put them in the lottery system, you see what you get. If you don't like what you get, your plan B can be just pay a bananas amount of money for private school. And that's, is that like a strategy? Is that like a viable strategy that people pursue? Oh yeah, totally. And then should you do that for like middle school and then roll the dice again on lottery to see about high school? Or so do you, it's worse like, than once that. Once you opt out, do you the, stay out? Let's say, let's say you're a parent and you have a new um, kindergartner who's about to enter kindergarten. Cause kindergarten is when they do the lottery, not okay. first grade. Okay, okay. So you, you have a kindergartner. You roll the dice and you come up with a school you really hate, let's say. Okay. It's not good for whatever metric you care about. Yeah. You're incentivized not only to like move to a different school, even within the district, you're actually incentivized to leave SFUSD entirely. You can try to fight your way out of the school you were assigned to. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it tends to work better coming back into SFUSD from outside of it than trying to move within it. So like it is a strategy to go to your local parish school to a private school, a non-denominational or like, you know, completely non-religious kindergarten, uh-huh. but private school. And actually, yeah, private school for, for your kindergartner. It's actually um, a better strategy than try to fight to move schools inside of SFUSD. Wow. Because Keep in mind, if you're inside the system, SFUSD is getting their money from the state for you showing up to class. If you're outside the system, they're getting nothing. And so the the game theory, mm-hmm. you know, incentive structure mm-hmm. is that SFUSD would really like to make people who want to come into the system happy. Right. If once you're in there, they don't care about you quite so much. They've already got you. So. Wow. So, th- I mean, so this is that opt out thing that you were just talking about, Rishi. Yep. And I think, um, Ruchi, if you can remind me, like the the percentage of children in San, San Francisco proper that go to public school for their K through eight, or maybe even just K through five, is much, much lower than the state average, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but the state average of going to private school is something like 10%. And in San Francisco, it is a lot higher. Um, but I do not remember exactly what that is. Hmm. So, okay. I'm, I'm actually, I am going to try to reel this back to the, to the <laughs> board of supervisors thing because, right. and so, I mean, these, these are, these districting issues are different, similar in some ways in, in, in that it's difficult to draw these dr- districts in a way that makes sense. Um, but they're also different in, in, well, you're right. They're, they're different things, right? But like, it, it is kind of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like, if we if we want geographic districts to make sure that, say, um, you know, East Asian people, East uh, Asian American people in whatever the Richmond, the outer Richmond, or whatever, uh, are represented, we want a district where they are at least a large percentage of a district. Therefore, we can expect representation from that community out of that district, right? But the flip side of that is that if I'm somebody who, who considers myself a part of that community and I leave that district, I am, I, my voting power is diluted, right? Like I, I, I have mm-hmm. political incentives to stay in that district and not move maybe someplace else. Cause maybe I want to move to pack Heights or maybe I want to move to dog patch or Soma, or whatever. Right. But I don't because I want to like have my political voice be heard. Right. Anyway. So, so my, my amended compromise hot take on this, I want to hear your thoughts on this, would be what if we, what if we had mostly uh, geographic supervisor districts and like one or two at-large supervisors? 
and that when we saw those one or two at-large supervisors have a track record of being of having the, those electeds be more diverse, we might see that as a signal that we can begin to move away from geographic uh, supervisor districts. Uh, I don't know. Let me let me let me think about this for a minute. Let's yeah. let's say you had one at large. Yeah. Just you know, okay. We we normally Which have Oakland eleven supervisors. Let's do ten districts, one at large. That one yeah. at large person would be basically the same as the mayor, effectively. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. If you have two, not much changes. It's probably both of them are still the same as the mayor because it's the top two vote getters. It's only after it gets to a significant number of at-large seats where you might see some differentiation between the people running. Uh, because just by virtue of you can't have the same... Well, there's a, there's a limit on how many people with the same ideology can run for these seats. Um, so I don't know that that would actually do a whole lot besides just make a lot of people angry. <laughs> like, oh, you're going to get one more vote on the board. Yeah. Whatever you do to districts, it's going to make a whole lot of people angry. Like that's just like a given. So, yeah, I looked it up. Um, the way elections used to work, if you had five people running for the board because there were five mm-hmm. empty seats, you just put out like, who do you want? Each person gets to vote for one person and the top five vote getters get it. Like that's it. And that seems bonkers to me. That's that's bonkers, but I'm also surprised that that didn't like. If we did that today, do you think that would result in a non-diverse board of supervisors? I think so. Yeah, because the cult of personality would kick in. You're faced with a list of twenty names on it, and you need to vote yeah. for one of them. You're just going to pick the person you recognize best. And so there's going to be mean, some kind of like one person gets ninety eight percent of the vote, and then there's like a couple trailing off ones at the end. And if you I don't are know. If you're someone who is really popular within a very um, uh, geographically constrained community, let's say, you are the best yeah. person to represent the uh, Asian Americans in the Richmond. No one else yeah. outside of the Richmond knows who you are, and so you won't get a whole lot of votes. And only people who are known citywide will. Okay. I don't know. I have some thoughts yeah. here. I have some thoughts, and they start with going back to schools, and then go Let's back to the supervisor <laughs> thing. Yeah. So I'm I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to talk this out. Okay. So thank you for acknowledging the diversion. That's great. Yeah. So so a thing that happened, um, a thing that happened last week, it actually in Oakland was that a school board member named Shanti Gonzalez resigned. And when she resigned, she wrote this very scathing letter about um, OUSD. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a couple things from it. So Wait, because hang on. I think is, is it gets a city council member? Of, of, of some of these issues. And she says, um, our efforts to improve school quality have been inconsistent and not nearly ambitious enough. In fact, she says, our core issue is that most schools are not meeting students' academic needs, meaning that students aren't being prepared adequately for their next steps, whether it is middle school, high school, or college and career. Um, And then she says, basically, the refusal to take this issue seriously has other consequences aside from not preparing students adequately. School quality drives enrollment, so our refusal to really take on school quality in a focused, consistent, and fearless way is impacting our enrollment and leading to budget cuts, school closures, and other negative consequences. And when you think about that and you step back, this whole school issue, right, the big issue I'm the big issue that we face, right, is that the schools are the school quality is not overall high enough at all schools in Oakland and also in San Francisco, right? And that drives this concern about which schools to go to and the lottery and the lack of integration and the, you know, moving to private school and all of that. Like at the end of the day, the schools are not adequately preparing students, right? They're not, they're not offering a high enough quality education consistently at each school in the district. 
right? And so in some ways, we're all just playing like, you know, moving around deck chairs on the Titanic, trying to come up with some way to make, you know, zoning better for the schools, but that doesn't actually get to the core problem. And I kind of am thinking that this whole issue with the supervisors is similar, like musical chairs on the Titanic issue, right? Where it's like, we have a lot of shitty supervisors. We have extremely poor governance of San Francisco writ large. And that's the core issue. The core issue is not do we elect some people at large or do we elect some people in neighborhoods or whatever? The core issue is that these people are not good at their jobs and like they're <laughs> failing the city. And like if we had better quality supervisors, no one would care. I mean, sure. But like, uh, Maybe there's a bit of there's a bit of fatalism from you there, Ruchi. They're like all of this stuff doesn't matter because the people who are running our city just suck. So why are we even having this podcast, right? Um, <laughs> I don't I don't actually know how to solve the problem of how to make supervisors better. Um, like, is that re-education camps or do we have like a supervisor Olympics or something? Do we have like a a farm league of even smaller districts that we like raise up supervisors from. I, I'm just spitballing here. I have no idea, but um, I do think, however, that there's a lot of the supervisors that like, I think we might all agree are terrible. Not all everyone listening, but like at least the three of us or whatever that probably couldn't get elected in a citywide election. When if, right. if they had to broaden their um, base of support outside of their narrow geographic areas. Cause like, really this is what the districts are not about who's inside of it. They're like excluding people outside from voting. District okay, 11 excludes all other voters. Yeah, go ahead. San Francisco school board is citywide elections. And we certainly have elected plenty of terrible people to San Francisco school school board citywide. That is very true. I think that the school board is a little bit more unique, however, because no one knows what the school board does or cares, especially if you don't have kids. And it's only when things go super, super south where um, you would even notice and care who you're supposed to vote for, which is actually why I think I'm going to, you know, we're going to do a sneak peek to Jer's hot take of the week from the end of the podcast. I'm going to pull it up <laughs> right now. And that's the school board should be appointed and not elected because it's ridiculous. And did um, they that mention that together? Kind of uh, that that is a that has also come up several times. Scott, did that come up in your wires SF politics weird class that you went to? Like like which position should be elected and which should be appointed? Yeah, should the school board no. be appointed or should it be elected? No, um, that did not come up. Um, I, I I agree with that hot take. Um, yeah, I don't know, like. Um, uh, I, I, I do sort of think, I, I think one of the things that makes super, the supervisors sort of dysfunctional is that they are, because I, I do think it's kind of the geographic borders, right? They are incentivized to appeal to a smaller, a, a more niche set of voters, right? And like, therefore they can get elected by saying, I'm going to defend, you know, the inner and outer Richmond, Okay, whatever. what if we had a hundred district supervisors? Maybe the problem is the quantity. Oh, uh, we need to increase the size of the House of Representatives. And while we're at it, we're also going to have like 10 times as many supervisors. <laughs> Every San Franciscan is assigned a random district. And <laughs> you can apply to switch to another district if you want to, or you can opt in. Um, okay, I, 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 is, that, is that horse... Dead horse beaten I, I enough for this week. Wanna, I want to. I have another potential hot take. I, I'm not Go. actually married to this hot take, though, so I'm okay. kind of interested to hear your thoughts. Because so we were going to talk about the election, and Scott wanted to bring up the whole chess Which election. Call. Oh, then upcoming election. Okay, yeah. yeah, and I kind of don't think that district prosecutors should be elected. I think it's Agreed. weird. Hard agree. I think that that should not be an elected position. Yeah, hard agree. Appointed by the mayor? 
somebody. Appointed by someone that is not me. I don't, I, I also hate voting for judges. That's also weird. Yeah. Um, I don't want to vote a for a judge. Why am I voting for the comptroller? Yeah. No, it should be. Yeah. That's the person who's in charge of giving out compliments. The judge? Yeah. No, no the, the comptroller. comptroller. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pivot into that. So it's San Francisco and it's crazy. So of course we have another election coming up. There's a June 7th election. Got my little, my little fancy here. The, it's an audio medium. So here's the, my ballot. Okay. That was great. Um, yeah. So we get to vote on some more stuff. Yeah. There you go. Oh, I don't have my ballot yet. Okay. Um, oh, this is the ballot from last election. That was just a prop. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, so there was a couple things in here that, that I did want to kind of talk about. Um, but at the top, Jer, I, want, I wanted you to give space to tell our, our amazing audience your take on how to vote on bond measures. Because I always okay, think well, of you whenever I vote on a bond measure. My, my, my hot take is actually mostly about ballot propositions. Okay, and yeah, there's an exception yeah. carved out for bond measures. Ballot right, propositions yeah. are bullshit. Ballot propositions are the people we hire to do legislative like work saying, nah, um, we can't decide. So we're going to kick it to the general populace. And you should never vote yes on a ballot proposition that could have been something passed by the legislature. In fact, you shouldn't. Make them do their own homework. I am a busy person who can't, doesn't have the time and space. And, you know, okay, I'm not actually that busy. And yeah, I would totally read up on this stuff. But the population at large, we have a representative democracy, so we don't have this problem. We're, we hired you to do your job of figuring out what is the best thing to do in a various situations. If we don't like it, we can fire you and hire someone else. That's, yeah, that's and- the deal. I think we hired them to appoint prosecutors too. Yeah. Oh, yes, Amen. That's right. Um, however, there's an exception of Jer's like, I am angry about ballot propositions, like thesis for bond measures. Bond measures, at least in California, because of Howard Jarvis and the taxpayer revolt of the 1960s or whoever's responsible for this, maybe the people who wrote the California Constitution. If you want to fund something, you have to put it in front of the voters as a bond measure basically. So yes, I will almost always vote for a bond measure because like most of them did progress their way through the legislature. And this is the final step to actually enacting something. It's like, oh, we want to do a cool new thing, but it requires money. Voters, please give us the money to do the cool new thing that we said we were going to. Great. Fine. I will vote for that. No problem. All the rest of them, however, unless there's a really good reason, an overwhelmingly good reason, absolutely no on all ballot propositions. That's and for any take. for anybody who, who might be listening and, and I, I don't know if you, we had talked about this years ago. I, I'm sure I asked Jer like, dude, what's a bond? Like what, what are these things? This is just this, this is just the County like borrowing money at like a relatively low interest rate. Um, uh, Currently instead of like raising taxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this, in, in, in this case, on June 7th, we have one to fund Muni so that we can have our awesome trains and buses work properly um, and other awesome stuff that, that Muni does. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a yes on the, on the bond. One coming up. Um, right. Okay. So, thank you, Jer. I, um, I kind of I do want to talk about the Chesa Boudin, the DA person shouldn't be elected. We all agree on that. But. Uh, uh, Jesse Boudin uh, was elected, right? He wasn't appointed, was mm-hmm. he? He right. was elected, and he is getting recalled, right? And this is this is measure or proposition H on the ballot, um, and it's. I think he's going to get recalled. I think I think people are spun up about it, and I think he's going to get. I, I mean, I don't know what I'm basing that on, but just like stuff that I'm reading and hearing, it just sounds like. People want I, to recall. I also agree. I, I wanted to talk about this recalled. just because, and I, I could be wrong here. Like, it, tell me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like this city is way, way wound up about this guy. And there's not a whole lot of like, I haven't seen like a smoking gun evidence thing. I haven't seen like an event or a thing or a trend that says to me like, oh, wow, we got to get rid of this guy. You know, 
Have you? Am I wrong? It, this feels way overblown to me. I don't see why. I, I, let's put it this way. I, I think it's true that if it wasn't a pandemic, the 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 Board of Education recall wouldn't have happened, right? Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't a pandemic, I certainly don't think the Chesa Boudin recall would be happening. Yay, nay. So contextualizing it, like when did this start, the, the Chesa Boudin recall effort? I think you can, it's likely at least, you can trace the beginning of the recall effort to uh, uh, a spike in what were perceived as anti-Asian hate crimes in San Francisco and Oakland and Bay Area generally. Mm. And um, for the same reason the Board of Supervisors got recalled for, um, by on, on the large part, on the votes of the Asian Americans who were upset at the board of, or the, the school board, you might see the same thing play out here, if I'm right about the start of the recall effort, that Mm -hmm. um, what a a lot of people wanted was a tough on crime response to what they saw as a uh, spike in hate crimes. And when that failed to materialize, it may not have been uh, Chess's fault that it didn't materialize, but they need to hang it off of someone. And so he's the the person who will be the focal point for all of that, Mm. if it's true. So yeah, in much in the same way as the school board recall was, um, if not instigated, focused by an external event, the pandemic. Yeah, Chess's recall might have been triggered by an external event out of his own control as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think that the yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um. It's interesting, you know, because I, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but I feel like what you're saying, you know, it's it's compelling. And I think one thing is that um, I don't feel like in general, San Francisco has an extremely large Asian population, but they have not necessarily had a lot of political muscle. I feel like, um, and, and, and some of that is probably just, um, you know, many people didn't choose to be incredibly politically involved, um, in, in the community. And so it sort of it leads to like, kind of like this, a little bit gross pandering, in my opinion, where, you know, every, every candidate for election in San Francisco, you know, you'll see their Twitter bio, which will have their name and then their name in Chinese characters and all of this, you know, and it's sort of like this, we this weird pandering um, to the Chinese community, but not necessarily real communication or trying to understand the community or trying to do any deep engagement with the community in a, in a lot of cases. And That is, um, that is very possibly the case here as well. Okay, wait. I talk, we're having to our lovely, lovely audience. I think we're having like some internet lag here, Ruchi. I miss a lot of that. Can you like give me a recap? Hold on one second. Priya is downloading well, lots of cartoons. <laughs> I mean, it, it, something Ruchi said is that the the Asian population in San Francisco may not be like stretching its legs quite the same way that other um, minority groups have. But sure, the last I checked, um, Asian Americans made up something like thirty three percent of the population in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if I'm right here. 33.7% in 2020. So mm-hmm. it's like a significant minority that may not like really, like Ruchi said, have a bunch of um, uh, political muscle. Mm-hmm. But if it is um, spurred to action by, for example, a bunch of anti-Asian hate crimes or by a board of supervisors, or sorry, a board of supervisors, a board of education that seems callous to their interests, yeah. then yeah, it's going to affect them a lot. Um, and 
I think that the the large and overwhelmingly um, pro-recall vote for the board of, board of educators is kind of indicative of that. And if, if that should be making Chess and his team nervous. Right. Yeah, I guess I did. I didn't. I didn't realize that there was a, a lack of a response to AAPI hate crimes. That, that just, I don't know. And it's not only that. It, like there were a few notable instances where someone was arrested and then released on their own recognizance, or for whatever reason freed from jail, that went on to commit more crimes. And so the the message got out that Chessa was just letting people back on the street after having you know, violently assaulted somebody and whether that's accurate or not. um, In the end, like there's not a way to recall the judges who are um, for example, like not holding people in, in jail or releasing them early. There's not some way of recalling police departments who are not responsive to people calling in for a, a violent crime report, but there is a way to recall the, the prosecutor who was supposed to keep these people off the streets, quote unquote. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, do you guys know how how you feel like you're going to vote on this one? I don't know. I. Yeah, I don't know. So. I don't know either. You can hear me now. Yes, I can. Okay, good. Um. So, I think. The thing that concerns me is that it feels like Chessa Boudin has lost the confidence of too many important stakeholders, both just at large in the community and then um, in the government. And so I think that makes it very challenging like, I don't know where he goes from here, mm-hmm. you know, if he survives mm-hmm. the recall. Um, I don't know. It's challenging to see how he makes some sort of comeback, um, just given given how much confidence he seems to have lost in people and communities. So that's what gives me pause. Um, I don't. I feel like he's kind of a scapegoat in a lot of this, um, mm. but uh, on the other hand, it just may be that it is like it's just an intractable situation, and the best thing for the city as a whole is maybe if there's someone else in that role. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's interesting, huh? There's another. There's another. You know. Uh, area we haven't talked about, which is uh, Chesa Boudin and the prosecutor's office relationship with SFPD, right? So right. SFPD had a number of high profile, like cases where they perhaps used excessive force in mm-hmm. the, the observance of their duties. And Chesa came into office um, on a platform of holding officers who used um, inappropriate force to account, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this made um, the SF Police Department and also their um, their union very upset. Right. And so he came into office with a poisoned relationship with the people who are supposed to be helping him prosecute crimes. And we do want prosecutors to hold police officers who behave inappropriately, who use um, inappropriate forms of um restraints, for example, or just are otherwise terrible people to account. And it's really hard to kind of square that circle. We need to work with you to put people who belong in jail behind bars. And we also need to cull your ranks of people who would otherwise like harm the people they're supposed to protect. And doing both at the same time might just be impossible. And maybe the, the, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, does it even make sense to have a DA do the work of holding a, a pol- holding a police force accountable? Like that seems like it's an inherently mm-hmm. fraught relationship because you do want your DA working well with law enforcement, right? It doesn't seem like you want that to be the same person or office 
I, I think you do want some kind of oversight. You need you need something to provide assurance to the people mm-hmm. that cops aren't just like, you know, a taxpayer funded gang or whatever. I mean, that's 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 a that's extreme and dystopian. I don't think that's true. But you know what I mean? Like you want some uh, oversight, right? Sure. It doesn't seem like it makes sense to have that be also the person who is help working with them to prosecute criminals. Yeah. And Chess Boudin was elected like in the middle of a national conversation about excessive force in the yeah. police departments across the United States. So like he had something of a, I don't want to say a mandate, but um, there was a reason people voted for him. And yeah. uh, that was no small part of it. What does it say yeah. about San Franciscans though, that like, like what's going on here? Like, you know, you could say, okay, the city voted for the school board and then promptly like, you know, not even, I mean, this is kind of, so there's another proposition that we haven't talked about. Um, what is it? Prop C that would limit recalls. Um, yeah. and, and, and you can kind of, I mean, I'm not supporting this proposition, but you can kind of see the logic a little, which is like, it's a little ridiculous. Like why would so many people in the city vote for a certain school board only to then have, you know, 70% recall it. Similar thing with Chesil. Like I do think he's going to be recalled and I don't think it's going to be by a small amount. So like Mm. what happened there? Like how did the, you know, why would the city vote for him and then have such a massive change of heart? It just seems, is it the pandemic? Is it San Francisco being crazy? Is it that we think, if, is it that we think we support certain ideals, but then when push comes to shove, we don't? Um, I mean, I just really, like, honestly, it is baffling, Right. Is it just okay? So really quickly, so uh, Proposition C that we're talking about there. Um, it, it, this is this is another one of the propositions we can vote on on June seventh, and that's to basically make recalls more difficult. It sort of like compresses the amount of time during which you're allowed to recall someone, um, and it also prevents an appointed replacement after a recall. So if Joseph Budin gets recalled. Uh, somebody, I presume the mayor is going to uh, place a replacement. Uh, Proposition C, if it succeeds, will prevent that replacement from even running at the end of their term. So it sort of prevents the mayor from placing people into positions of power. Which, by the way, I think might not be legal, but <laughs> we can. <laughs> but but back to Jared's theory of propositions, it's like, yeah, this is absolutely like this is absolutely just like a weird rule that somebody is throwing on the ballot on June 7th that like the people who are spun up about recalls are going to say like, yeah, let's take power away from like, we want our recalls to, to stick or we don't want to, I don't know. I'm not sure who they're like trying to appeal to, you know? So this was put on the ballot by the board of supervisors and mm-hmm. it's an amendment to the city's charter, which is why it's there in the first place. The board of supervisors just can't pass a rule that changes the way that recalls work. It has to be put up to uh as a ballot proposition because that's the only way like this this doesn't this doesn't fail jairs legislators should just legislate test okay (laughs) um that said like (laughs) so one of the big people who uh, uh the big group that was opposing the recall of the school board was actually the teachers union the okay. teachers union was very against the recall, even though a bunch of teachers themselves individually thought the the board members deserved getting recalled. The union itself was vociferously against it. And the the reason is the, the teachers union has a lot of sway, much like the DCCC in setting the um, expectations and uh, making recommendations for who to vote for in the election. They have a lot of power to choose who's going to be on the, the board of um, the school board. Yeah. And if those people on the school board are instead appointed, they lose almost the entirety of that power, that political power they have. They can right. no longer send out a flyer saying, you know, the teachers support these five candidates because it won't matter because they're just appointed by the mayor. Yeah. And it's in the same way, um, 
progressives who currently have a district attorney who is on like from their camp um, would are really against the mayor appointing a replacement who will then run as an incumbent. Right. Yeah. And so because the, I don't think this would be the case if the recall was against a like dirty, hairy style, tough on crime, Rudy Giuliani district attorney who was getting recalled because he was like overzealous in like, I don't know, charging people with jaywalking or something. And then the progressives on the board wouldn't have put prop C because they like being able to recall people who disagree with them. Right. This is, this is almost entirely because like they're trying to protect their own narrow political interests. And as such, I think it's a whole lot of bullshit. They're just trying to take power away from the mayor. Yeah. They're trying to take power away from the mayor. And as the three of us, apparently at least agree for like a lot of these positions that should just be appointed. And there's no reason why should we should be voting on things as esoteric as the school board. Since most people do not have the time or energy or even have the interest because they don't have kids in choosing who to vote for on the school board, let's let experts do it. And if they do a bad job appointing them, we'll throw their asses out in the next election. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Well, okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, so, so this, this, there's, this is no good segue for this. So like, this is kind of, okay, the SFization of national politics, that, that's kind of at play here, right? We have like, there's a, there's a whole trend of, uh, well, there's, this is not a good segue. Um, so Hillary Ronan, uh, one of the uh, supervisors, tweeted out during, in the aftermath of the leaked um, uh, Alito uh, Roe opinion, right? Which may or may not be the opinion that the Supreme Court will, will, will hand down. Um, a San Francisco supervisor tweeted that, that you know, her, uh, a strong and strident stand against this and saying that San Francisco will stand up against this, this SCOTUS decision. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit with you guys. Cause like, I don't know. I feel like the people that are listening to this and, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel weird not talking about this because Roe being overturned, um, like it's it's like national politics heard that we were calling SF politics crazy and was like hold my beer, um, <laughs> because uh, that's that's wild, mm-hmm. it's surreal. It's like a it's like a fundamental. It's a really deep change in I think that sort of the tenor of I, I, it just feels really really impactful and deep and like to me it feels like. I, I, I don't know. To, to like the two people that are listening to this podcast, I just feel like it's worth saying that like this really feels like a dangerous and creepy and scary turn. Like this is this is the high court of the land, like working to subjugate women, and that feels real and scary. And like it doesn't seem like this opinion is like gonna not be the opinion. Like I don't think you write ninety pages if this isn't gonna be the thing, you know. I don't know. I, I guess I just wanted to talk about that for a sec because I feel like the people who listen want to hear what, what you guys think about it. And so do I. I mean, it's the first instance of the Supreme Court removing a constitutional right, if it happens. Right. Like deciding that, oh, well, because, you know, we, we forgot that the Ninth Amendment exists. And it wasn't specifically written down that abortion was itself a right. Nah, in that case, let's get rid of that because the the justification for privacy as a as a constitutional right doesn't isn't expansive enough to include abortion. So let's just skip that. It's you're right. It is scary, and um, even for those people who um, don't seem to care about abortion as a right of, um, because they're either will never be pregnant or they think that they're somehow immune to it. Um, it seems like the court is coming after all of the sacred cows to try to ox them at once. So abortions first gay marriage next, um, contraception. I just read that there is a, a bill making its way, or at least maybe a, a legislator trying to push for making contraception illegal unless you're married. Um, it's 
there's some freaky stuff happening in other places outside of San Francisco. And you're right. Like our Picayune kind of like Picayune. fights over. Yeah. Over. <laughs> Good word. Thank you. I, I, I wrote that down before the podcast to like see if I could sneak <laughs> in somehow. Anyway, it's definitely not going to be a drinking word in the future. But anyway, our, our kind of like little squabbles over this and that do yeah. kind of pale in comparison to like the big scary stuff happening elsewhere. Well, I don't yeah. think yeah, yeah. so. I really don't. It, it, the thing okay. is that, that what really angers me uh, when stuff like this happens is that San Francisco should be a safe haven for more people. Like, there are many things we disagree about, and we disagree about, you know, lots of things, and those may be the Picayune things that we disagree <laughs> about, right? But at the end of the day, there is a lot of agreement on some important values that I think, you know, the vast majority of San Franciscans hold dear. And therefore, I do think that if we live our values, part of living our values is to be a welcoming place where more people can live, um, you know, in, in safety. And so it really makes me angry when people like Hillary Ronan tweet, you know, I mean, I get it. We're all, we're all upset and we're all feeling this pain. But on the other hand, certain San Francisco supervisors are the reason why too many people are n- not able to come to San Francisco because it's just too fucking expensive. And it's not, it's not, it's not a welcoming place. It's not a place for refugees. It's not a place for, you know, poor, scared people in the South who want to go somewhere better. It's just not, and it should be, but it's not Mm -hmm. because it's just too expensive. It's too expensive and and too hard. It's not anymore because it used to be the case that San Francisco was a refuge for people who were pushed out of their like, yes. yes more conservative. It homes. used to be a refuge for a lot of communities, um, a lot of different you know people of different ideologies, for um, the gay community. I mean, it was a refuge for a lot of people, and it's not anymore. And Black folks fleeing the Jim Crow South. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that you made Roe being overturned about housing, Ruchi. You will have forever hold a dear place in my heart. Let's make it every all issue about is housing. a housing issue. Yeah. yeah. It's um, because it's because, you know, the the shelter is a basic human need and it should be a basic human right, right? So, like, you say housing and it connotes ideas of, like, you know, evil developers and real estate agents and all of this other stuff. But at the, at the basics, what is housing? It's, it's shelter. That's, and it's, it's, it's a fundamental need. Yeah. I mean, would it be, would you consider it to be a fundamental need for, like, life itself? Like the thing that our, not the, the Declaration of Independence said was an inalienable right, perhaps? I mean, just throwing that out there. <laughs> I, I think that um, it is sad that we don't consider shelter an in inalienable right, because I do believe that housing should be a right. I think that all people should have a right to housing. Um, and in California, we do not consider that the case. Um, and it has many tragic consequences, as we see in San Francisco. Um, but I and to put a f- yeah. To put a finer point on it, if I, if I know which Ronan tweet, tweet you're talking about, she said something that about she was going to like uh, back legislation that would fund um, taking people from red states that had banned abortion and flying them to San Francisco so they could get medical care. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, or 
we could do all of that and have them have a place to live once they get here. Yeah. Right. I got to tell you, man, as it stands, like you can do all that. You can take someone who is scared and afraid and give them uh, a way to get to San Francisco, provide their medical care. And then at that point you're like, sorry, freeloader, you got to get out because if you want to stay here, you got to, you got to shell out. And that's the thing that really upsets me is we're actually actively hostile to people who come here, right? Like, yeah, like when you say sorry, freeloader, yeah, like there's a huge streak of San Francisco nativism that runs very deep. And there's a strong idea that San Francisco should be here really only for the people who are here today and not for anyone who is not here yet. And mm-hmm. um, and I think it's really antithetical to our values. Um, yeah. And it's definitely antithetical to being a progressive haven. And so yeah. that is that is why stuff like that makes me really angry. Well said. Yeah. I was just going to say I'm feeling super smug about being somebody who works remote and like not moving to Texas. Like Austin does <laughs> not seem so cool. You know what I mean? Mhm. Austin is cool. Austin is weird. Um but Austin is still in Texas. But yep. Scott how are you going to solve our Senate problem if you don't move to Texas or Boise? Oh my God. I, I got to tell you the Senate problem. I just, I just, I just don't think about it. Like, I don't know how to fix the Senate. I don't think the Senate gets fixed. I think we just, I think we're just always going to be screwed in the Senate. That's how fatalistic is that? That's horrific. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Luckily, luckily this podcast is not, Jer and Rucci talk Senate politics to yeah. Scott. So <laughs> not yet, not, not yet. yet. Um, okay. Uh, thank you guys for 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 talking about that and Rucci. Yeah, that was really well said. Um, okay. I don't know. Is there anything else we got bouncing around? Do we got any hot takes we want to throw in before we wrap this up? Uh, I spent my hot take card earlier on the podcast with a. Uh, People should do more pointing and less electing. Yeah, that is a that is a good hot take. I like that one. Um, okay, awesome. Well, um, we're we're chair uh, and I. We're running beta breakers next weekend. I don't know if there's going to mm-hmm. be any weird SF politics, but there will definitely be some weird SFness. Um, <laughs> we'll report back on. Um, and yeah, I, I do think. I think maybe we should do like a quick flyby on the all the wacky measures and I don't know, we should do something like a slate or at least look at it. And if nothing if nothing else, we can joke more about what the heck is a comptroller because that's that's an evergreen joke. Um, it's the yeah. person who's in charge of like coming up with other houses that cost approximately as much as your house, like when you're looking to sell. A comparable... Yeah, the comps. So yeah. Controls yeah, the, the comp controller. He's in charge of the comps. Yes. And on that amazing uh, <laughs> note, on that joke, I think that's what we got. Uh, I feel really bad for the people who held on to the very last minute in this podcast just to hear that terrible dad joke. They knew what they were getting into. They 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 know what they're doing. <laughs> and we didn't right, even y'all. shout out anyone today. We gotta say we gotta shout out Cheryl and Conrad, our two listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are beautiful. We love you. And we'll Thank talk you. to you some more in Two weeks.